getting more specific or getting better words, it, it can really help people feel like you actually care more and you just get the point across that you're trying to get across. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community for designers to grow their emotional intelligence. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Jonathan Shariat. Jonathan is the co-author of Tragic Design, published by O'Reilly. He co-hosts the Design Review Podcast and is currently an interaction designer and accessibility program lead at Google. And we dive into the importance of communication for designers to convey clarity and solve problems what communication skills he's learned from parenting books, tactical ways to build good communication skills by actively listening and asking good questions to get behind the why, and how EQ can lead you to become a more effective communicator. Welcome, Jonathan, to the show. I was telling Jonathan about how I originally knew who he was, other than both working at Google and overlapping for a short period of time. So I was a longtime listener of his podcast, the Design Review Podcast. And I have these vivid, and I didn't say this when we just started, but I have these vivid memories of walking home from work. And it was when I was working at Salesforce specifically and was just in the grind. And it was my first actual product design job instead of a more UX job in an agency. And was like scouring all the podcasts that were related to design and loved your guys's podcast and just have these vivid memories of like getting off the Muni and <laughs> walking home to my apartment <laughs> and just loving the candor between you and Chris and the balance of inspirational storytelling with tactical advice. And I feel like a lot of what I've tried to structure Design to Be Conversation is this fine line of, okay, you want folks to feel inspired and like, yeah, I can go do something. But then people want to know what to do. <laughs> so as a listener, I just want to say thank you. And it's an honor to chat with you today. Thank you so much, Rachel. That makes me so happy to hear. And I love those mo- like those podcast walks. Like I miss, I actually miss <laughs> my commute, right? Like you don't get to listen to as many podcasts when you don't have like a nice commute, but there's just something like that vibe of going to work in the morning. It's cold. You got podcasted, you're walking. It's, it's just, nothing beats that. Yeah. There's some inspiration coded with it. So when we were going back and forth through email of what we wanted to chat on today, we narrowed in on this larger parent umbrella of communication. And there's a few things that I, I love that you recommended that we'll, we'll dive into. But I'm curious if you can share a specific point in your career when you realized the importance of communication as a designer. Yeah, that's such a good question. And eventually, we all kind of come to that conclusion, but there is always that aha moment. I think for me, my first job that was a designy was like around storyboarding for a book series called Show Me How. And it had all these like, you know, images on like how to do a million different things. And it was really fun because I got to storyboard all this out and I got, 
I worked really hard to try and impress them and stuff. But in the end, like they could care less that I was there. You know, I contributed, I got paid and that was the end of the story. My second job, which is actually very more like UX focused, but it wasn't. I kind of started in marketing and then I got to bleed into like actual product design and UX and things like that. And I think that's where I had the aha moment because I also started out again, you know, just doing the work that they told me, giving a million options, you know, all that kind of thing. And just trying to do what I was told and, and you know, be productive and efficient and, and kind of please. Mm-hmm. But the thing about, I think with communication, why you have the aha moment is like when you just want to influence and influence isn't about like, I want to do things my way or I want what I, it's about collaboration. Influence is about collaboration because if you're not influencing, you know, we being like your team are minus that whole point of view, right? So mm-hmm. everyone should be influencing the product. Everyone should be influencing their company or, or whatever. And I think that with that aha moment for me was like, I was working on this credit card form and I was really, really excited because I feel like credit card forms are just like the neediest, funnest UX project, right? Like you have a very clear task, a very clear conversion, and a lot of people abandoning. It's just so fun to try and solve that. (laughs) So I put all these best practices in there and I was really proud of it. But one of the things that they wanted me to put in there was this dark pattern around essentially like hiding that we're charging you a yearly subscription after your trial is over versus a monthly subscription. Hmm. And I pushed really hard against that. And I tried to say like why I thought it was, you know, not the right thing to do. But they're like, no, this is really effective. And, you know, the VP of marketing came in and was like, do it. Hmm. So eventually it goes live. But I, I wasn't like, I didn't feel good about that. I was like, why couldn't I convince them? You know, why couldn't I convince them? And then what I started to do is I started to talk to, you know, friends in different departments and customer service. I'm like, hey, you have a really large volume of calls coming in. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. And finding out that, you know, oh, there's costs to that. And and then, you know, talking to the brand team and like what the impact is on our brand and they're measuring that. Different things like that to the finance team, the chargebacks of refunding customers, what that means. And so in the beginning, there was like this big spike in revenue, but you know, it's starting to dip and all this. I kind of corralled all this information. And I came back to the VPN, presented it in a way that he would understand because we were talking about metrics, we're talking about business uh, strategy, product strategy. And I Mm -hmm. put it into that overall narrative that he's constantly thinking about. That's his entire point of view at work. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get into that. Suddenly, immediately he was like, yes. And our relationship changed from that point on. One, because I started to communicate a lot better on like, here's why. Even if I didn't always have data, I knew I needed to speak to where they were at. Same thing with engineers. I hate that engineers that say, let's do this, this thing, and the other. Especially as like young designer, you want to do all this cool stuff. And they were like, mm-hmm. no, 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 like for a million different reasons. But when I started to explain why I thought padding was so important and I would I teach a little, little light design around like it has this effect on people and all these small changes make people feel like it's more valuable. I remember the engineers getting so excited about fixing stuff and be like, wow, look, it looks so much better. And I love that you explained everything. And I feel like involved And that first job where I got to do both of those things and grow in that area was a huge moment for me. And as I grew, I tried to meet people where they were and try to understand where are you coming from? What's your, Like, what are your goals? What are you thinking about? And then Mm -hmm. teach what I'm doing as well. Are there certain questions you ask, and maybe it's function or role specific to meet people where they're at? I think asking good questions, you don't need to be an expert. That's their job. But 
asking them to give you kind of their overall summaries, you know, like they're explained to me like on fives kind of explanations about like what they're doing and why they're doing it. And mm-hmm. that can go such a long way. Like, you know, in college, I took programming classes as part of my curriculum, but I'm not a programmer by any means, like mm-hmm. not even sure if I could get a running program, I've made like some Chrome plugins and things like that is probably the biggest thing I've ever worked on. But at the same time, I know enough about the overall logic and the way things work now that when we're sorting through problems or I'm working with an engineer, we can speak enough of the same language to get through to the right problem or to just skip a lot of confusion and get straight to the point. So I think it really comes down to like asking a lot of good questions and then making sure that you usually the natural thing is they'll ask you to, but you know, if they don't, you know, offering some basic education on what you do as well. Yeah. I felt like similarly, the biggest shifting points of a project for me was when I was able to bring others in and ask them the good questions simply just to meet them where they're at. So there wasn't this mode of, what's that? Why is that? What's going on? Rather, okay, I'm involved in this too. I can see your perspective and how you're planning to create this moving forward or how we're planning to create this moving forward. And sometimes I, that's easy. Like I feel like with you know other designers or marketing or even like engineering, I'm really interested in that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes like the business side around like, you know, we want to do this, we want to do that. I, I have to like actually put in more effort, but we can bias ourselves in that way of like, you know, who we enjoy asking all those questions with and who we don't, but mm-hmm. try and just like really dig into everyone. You know, I've been surprised about really digging into that with finance and you learn some amazing tools and resources or like, you know, in that example of customer support, if I hadn't done that previously with customer support, I wouldn't have understood the connection with what we were doing and be able to leverage that. Mm -hmm. So those connections that you make with all these other teams from asking those really good questions will help you in a lot of unknown ways. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, One kind of to switch gears a tiny bit, one element of communication that I love that you brought up and congrats on being a new dad because this is related is so you mentioned reading parenting books and specifically the how to talk to kids series. And you mentioned about how there's just simple, important, basic human communication skills that designers can learn and integrate. I'm curious what you've learned and share with folks. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited to chat with you about this because I haven't really had a good conversation about this with anyone yet. But actually, before I had my first kids, I just had my second child. Uh, Before I even had my son, I was interested in kind of growing and I was finding different books. And there was this leader, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Simon Sinek or Sinek? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's all over, you know, LinkedIn and and things like that. So I happened to just come across like a talk of his and someone asked the question of like, what is the number one leadership book you recommend? And he writes bestseller leadership books. So I thought it was an interesting question. And he didn't recommend any of his books or any, you know, any of these really classic leadership books. He recommended this parenting book. And Hmm. the reason he gave was that, there's this foundational stuff that we don't do as adults, as humans, that doesn't get taught to it as kids. And it applies to just our everyday relationships. And that also applies to work relationships. So I thought that was really, really fascinating, and interesting. And that's the first time I heard about the book and got the book. I definitely read it 
again and very more earnestly <laughs> right before I had my, my son. But it was mind-blowing. And it's, it's such a light book. I highly recommend it, of course, to anyone because it's effective, but also it's got like comics in it. Okay, yeah. So and, and, what yeah. I was envisioning was kind of a children's book. And then I reread it. It was like, okay, parenting book, but maybe not children. But so there, there are comics. <laughs> yeah. You can literally just like skip the whole text and just read the comics and you'll get like 80% of what they're trying to say. And it's amazing because it's just a bunch of examples, like scenarios, right? That they're these comics. And it really has changed a lot for me. Like it's changed the way I view relationships and the way I want to talk, communicate, listen. And I've mentioned this here and there to different leaders. Like I have a lot of mentors that I try to bring into my life and design and, you know, mentioning like, Ooh, and literally every single one of them was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like they were very (laughs) aware. And this was like brand new mind blowing news to me. And they had all read this book as well. So I think this is like such a, a good book if you're interested in leadership, but also if you're interested in communication, which hopefully your listeners. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious if they're in this book, what are the specific foundational communication skills that they touch upon? You know, I think the first one is like right there in the title. Like they could have just stopped at how to talk to kids so they'll listen. But mm-hmm. the full title is how to talk to kids so listen. Uh, so they'll listen and how to listen to kids so they'll talk. So I think one of the biggest lessons there is that being a good listener is equally, if not more important into communicating and influencing. You know, it's so weird that like being quiet is a great communication skill, knowing when to be quiet, not just giving someone the silent treatment. And I think that is a really important one. And getting into the specifics, you know, when you talk about listening, we all have our own mode of listening. A lot of people are listening and trying to think of the next thing to say, <laughs> which probably if you're the host of a podcast is a good thing. But you know, when you're, it, you know, as a one-on-one. It's a balance though. It's a balance yeah. though. And it's something as a, like wearing this hat of a podcast host, it is a challenge because as someone who really practices their active listening, which is really just tuning into so many things, not only what is verbally coming out of your mouth, but also your body language and also what is actually underneath the delivery of what you're saying, as well as is my mind going into, okay, now what what am I going to say next? (laughs) So there's this balance. And as designers as well, when whether you're in crit or giving feedback to someone else's work, or you are giving a big presentation, listening is so, so, so important. Yeah. And I know oftentimes we do that in crit as well. Like I've been guilty of like thinking, okay, what's the critique I'm going to give? You know, (laughs) what's the really great critique I'm going to give? And let me jump on that first, right? Versus like, you're really listening to understand them and help them. You know, one of the ways, and also, you know, like another great work example is like our one-on-ones or, you know, you're Mm -hmm. in a work meeting. And one of the things that we also don't do well is trying to jump in and solve things. You know, we're mm-hmm. trying to work on a problem together or like, you know, the crit example is great. Um, someone's sharing their work with you and they're presenting a problem and immediately you want to jump in and say, what if we do this? What if we do that? What if we do this? And that's not always the right thing. Sometimes the right thing is to just continue to listen until they ask you for your help or your feedback, right? They may be working it out for themselves as they talk it out to you. And to be a great listener is to just give them that space to do that and have them invite you in 
Another thing that I do really poorly and longtime podcast listeners probably hate this is too much active listening (laughs) where you're like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, uh uh-huh, you know, and you're just constantly getting in there with all these affirmative and extra words and, oh, you know, yeah, you know, you're involved, which is great. You're like, and Mm -hmm. when you're like with a friend, that's a really fun mode to be in. But when you're in problem solving mode, that's really frustrating and annoying to have someone constantly jumping into the conversation or constantly airing some empathetic, you know, work. So being quiet and knowing when to like, you know, the person needs you to jump in. It's a skill because you don't want to like to just have these empty silence either. Everyone has the person on, on their team or maybe if not on their team, then in their org or, or a client they've worked with before that always talks a mile a minute. And while you applaud that person for their enthusiasm for life, it's still a dance and such a skill to give others, especially the more introverted folk who are just so happy they said that one thing all day to express themselves and to make sure that their voice is also heard. Yeah, I think a really big thing, I don't don't necessarily say it's part of the book or not, but one of the, the big lessons I've learned recently is also, it's a lot to train yourself, but you know, you're in a meeting, you're trying to follow the entire conversation yourself and contribute to it. But there's another layer of like, okay, who's talking, who hasn't talked. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's appropriate to start moderating a little bit to make sure that the meeting is successful and say like, you know, because we do have some people who are, you know, monologuing, because that's their way of figuring stuff out. But it's also eating up everyone's time. And you have people who haven't really spoken. So you know, being able to know how to gently, you know, stop them in their tracks and say, like, that's a really interesting, like, you know, so and so, what do you think? And just tossing the whole attention to the room to them can be really, really helpful. And I've actually gotten that feedback from some people here and there. I'm like, thank you so much for doing that. Because sometimes it's not easy to, especially if you have those dominant voices in the room, and you Mm want to make sure, especially if you know that they should be talking, but, you know, if you want to just make sure that everyone's has had their input, So kind of just looking out and drawing people into the conversation can be really helpful as well. The next one was about like not just brushing off feelings. And in the work environment, we love to think that we're just kind of cold and calculated and kind of like Spock. Everyone's Spock at work, (laughs) (laughs) but we're not. We're human and we need to leverage and uh, address like feelings at work. And so the thing that they teach you in the book is, you know, again, like I mentioned, not rushing to fix, but also letting them just kind of air out the frustrations. Like, I don't know if you've ever had like a a friend or a partner or somebody who's saying like, oh, this is really frustrating. And the person's constantly saying like, what about this? What about this? Or do you think about this? You do this. Or they're like, or they're mad at you because they care about you. And they're like, why didn't you go on the bike in the first place? And, you know, and that's not what you wanted, right? What you wanted is just like, oh yeah. And that's about it, right? Mm -hmm. So kids want the same thing. Your coworkers want the same thing. Sometimes it's just like, hey, you know, I tried doing this and, you know, and the developer told me this and then we tried to do that and there was a delay with this. And they may not want you to just say like, well, have you tried X, Y, and Z? And even if they do, like the first reaction that is more empathetic and more helpful is like, oh, I can see how that can be really frustrating or, you know, oh yeah, that, that those delays like are really tough or, you know, something like that where you're empathizing with them first, not mm-hmm. just jumping into saying like, let's do this or why did you do it this way? A huge part of growing your emotional intelligence is honoring the emotions that you're experiencing, whether it be for yourself Mm. or for others. And I love that you touched on the piece of empathy 
And also with the empathy is uh, compassion and compassion is simply empathy plus action. And understanding when do I just need to simply be with someone? I got really, really tough feedback from my manager and I just need to, let me just vent. (laughs) And we can go into problem solving mode later. We'll get there, but like, just be with me. And everyone has those hard days, whether it you tried to go for a promotion and you didn't get it, or you got the worst feedback ever on, on a product in a product review or whatever it may be. Just honoring the twists and turns that happen throughout your day and throughout the, we'll say throughout the product life cycle <laughs> <laughs> and simply honoring where they're at. And it's a balance. And I, I love that you you brought this up because it, it is easy, especially I feel like as designers where we're always looking to come up with the next solution yeah. to simply... Yeah, exactly. Like that's your job all day long and knowing when to pull those reins back is difficult. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, just take a deep breath. And then you can get back to yeah. solving all the problems, creating all the solutions and all of that. But yeah, I love that one. Yeah. And in the book, they mentioned like that they encourage you to give the feeling a name, which mm-hmm. also is another big growth opportunity, which is like getting better words. Sometimes I have a very limited vocab. I call everything awesome, right? It's like, that's awesome. Awesome work, you know, and getting more specific or getting better words, it, it can really help people feel like you actually care more and you just get the point across that you're trying to get across. So, you know, saying like, that's frustrating, like, you know, versus like something else can be really helpful. So yeah, giving you that feeling a name and getting, getting a little more vocabulary and uh, is really good. Then the next area was like in addressing conflict, you know, with the kid, it's really about like, they're doing something they shouldn't. And you're trying to teach them about how to be a person in the world. Don't do this, do that kind of a thing. And of course, you know, with kids, and we actually had a episode about this recently, not recently anymore, since I've been on paternity recently, because Chris has done a bunch of episodes by himself in the meantime. But we talk about reactance as this like thing that people have studied in humans around like, when we're told to do something, and we're pushed and we feel kind of stuck, we get this reactance, which essentially like we just want to act out, lash out, we don't want to do it. And it's the same in kids. And it happens in adults too. Like if you if someone comes up to you and tells you that you can't wear what you're wearing. And you're like, who are you? Like, what, what are you talking about? Last year, I was in like Macy's with like a lot of coats on because I was like walking outside and I wanted to be warm. And this guy was giving me such a hard time about wearing so many layers. And I was like, who are you? You know, it just comes out of you. Like, who are you? Like, what are you talking to me? And this happens because people don't want to be blindly led into doing the next action. We've all been there where like your manager or your director is telling you to do something, but you don't have the why behind it. You don't understand Mm -hmm. even like what it's about. And so you have really struggled to find the energy to even just do it. And as soon as you know, like we're doing X to convert there, which will, you know, help us grow our business, which will make us more valuable to our investors or whatever it is. Like, you're like, I see where this ladder is up and it just makes it so much easier. Right. And I think that was a really big one for me too, because oftentimes it's like, I'm so like locked up in trying to, especially with kids, like trying to tell them, here's what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. You're giving me very intense flashbacks to (laughs) big tech working and being, okay, now you're going to do all this project and then it's due in one week. And then there's a presentation, but you can't come to it. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the feedback we got from that meeting. We may have defended the idea well or not. But then you're not in the follow-up meeting. (laughs) 
but you need to create 20 different things. Go. And yeah. it's such a hard place to be in where, especially in these larger organizations where there are these different levels that are happening. But I loved what you said of just what can we do as designers just to continue to ask questions and ask why and learn more. And I found in those situations where like, what's going on? Usually, if I do ask and do frame it in a way of this is really blocking my understanding to create and complete this aspect of work, usually people want the best work possible. So then thus, they will provide the more information needed to help you progress to create the best possible design solution. But my heart definitely went out (laughs) in in that story that you were sharing. Yeah. And I think like we hinted at on the flip side of that, if you're trying to influence, giving a very clear why will get people behind your ideas. Like Mm -hmm. an example I gave around the engineers of like, hey, here's like 50 bugs about padding issues. Oh my gosh. Why would anyone want to do that? Like, it's just like, okay, you're asking me to move two pixels here and one pixel there. Like, you're crazy and you're wasting my time, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're saying like, hey, these all add up, you know, it's been shown that people really understand these visual differences, whether they can vocalize them or not, and they ascribe more value. And when we put them all together, they really make the product feel more valuable and they're more willing to pay. They get it, right? If anything, you've done them the respect of telling them why. Like it just shows that you respect them. And mm-hmm. that also gives them opportunity to poke holes. And if they're like, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, did you think about this? That also gets your ideas to become better because you give them the opportunity to be critiqued. You know, when I'm actually involved in those meetings, like you mentioned, you can speak up and say, hey, you know, we actually, we did this research and this is what we, we heard from that. Or actually the purpose behind that was this, you're right. What if we try why? And if you give that respect to people, they're more willing to come along with your ideas and the ideas get better. Yeah, I completely, completely resonate. Were there any other skills from the book that you want to highlight? Uh, lots and lots. I think the other big one is like, you know, like focusing on the issue. You know, a lot of times we can put label, I mean, labels can kind of find their way into things. Once a label kind of finds its way into feedback, people, that reactance comes up, people are very against that feedback. They're not going to accept it, right? Because they're also needing to accept that new identity, that new label that you've given them. So with like a, a kid's example, it's like, hey, stop bullying other kids. Let's say they're pushing them. So now if they are doing what you're saying, they're sort of saying, okay, yeah, I am a bully. You know, with work, and like, I guess the, the correct thing there to say is like, hey, I don't like pushing or like, you know, that hurts them. Focusing on the issue, not about like them and their character. Uh-huh. And like a work example would be like, hey, you're not detail-oriented enough. You made an error in the mock you presented to leadership. That could be something that has been said, right? That's something that's been said to me. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not detail-oriented. Like, here I am. I spent like three weeks going through every single detail and this really complex flow and user flows. And I've covered every single use case and error screen that can show up and like all these edge cases. You know, you've gone to a lot of detail. I'm sorry that the mock data that doesn't even matter is wrong in this one screen. You know, like, so that's what that kind of, because they've inputted this label with it. Now you have to accept the whole thing versus one. You know, obviously, if you get more and more mature, you can take really bad feedback like that and pick it apart and move that aside and address it and be really, really. But a lot of times we're not, you know, that's something we have to do. That's extra work, right? 
And uh, not everyone, most people, I would say a vast majority of people will just react to it. So yeah. instead, you could say, hey, I noticed this error in your mock. You know, then it's just about the work. It's just like, oh, thank you. Let me go fix it. Versus like you're not de- adding the not detail oriented part becomes this huge deal versus just, hey, let's go fix it. Now, let's say it's also like an issue and, and you need to kind of go a little bit further. So it's like, we need to state our expectations next. Mm. And it's like, hey, you know, I'd like you to share your mocks earlier with the team before you present so we can help you feedback and give it a, a look over. And now like your report knows or whoever you're working with knows like, okay, this is now that I know the expectation for the future of like, here's what I should be doing. And that's helpful. Uh, you can also give them like information about how to make amends. Like, hey, can you go update the mock and share it out with the stakeholders by the end of the day? Sometimes also you might need to just give them like a choice because you don't want to give them this open-ended fix. So each step of this is kind of like escalating a little bit. Yeah. So like they're really have, struggling with the issue. You can offer them a choice. Like, hey, you can either spend more time reviewing your mocks before you know presenting or you can leverage the team for help. And then it becomes about choosing. They still feel like they have some control in a sense. And so they're more likely to go along with that. And then the last one is actually just taking an action. Like, you know, if you're a manager and all this stuff hasn't really worked and it's eminent, it's about to happen. Mm-hmm. And then the key word there is that it's eminent. Like you're mm-hmm. five minutes before the meeting, you want to, you know, they're about to present and you know that there's an error. Actually going in and being a little more direct of like, hey, I know smog is right. Can you change it? And let's, you know, knock it out of the park or whatever. So you kind of escalate it a little bit and these are different ways, especially as someone who's always been, you know, usually someone who's just kind of taking a lot of direction from management. This is all, you know, very new and very interesting. If you're someone who is in that direct report, like how would you use this stuff? You can use it. One is like you're also giving feedback and directions to your team. You are the point of contact for all UX. So if engineers need to change something, if the product manager needs to change a requirement, if you know, you're debating on like with the product strategy with your team, you do need to offer direction. And this is kind of the way to do it. But also you can know that your managers may be following this pattern too. And it can kind of help you understand like, oh, okay. Yeah. I love so much of what you've said. The only thing that I would add, and I don't know if you've heard of or read the book, Nonviolent Communication. Um, Okay. Yeah. Go check it out. It's a good one. It's a meaty one. But basically the, the super, super, super TLDR is uh, instead of to your point of saying what someone is doing, you express how you feel instead. So I feel very frustrated that there was this meeting that happened that I wasn't included in. So as a result, I was confused about not fully understanding the product requirements, but really focusing with how I feel rather than how you made me feel. It's something we talk about in the design to be training of they didn't make you feel anything. Maybe there are circumstances that happened that there was trickle events, but upon developing and growing your emotional awareness, upon having greater awareness, there's a choice in feeling and there is an awareness and management of, whoa, okay, these are the emotions. This emotion's bubbling up. I'm feeling frustrated. Okay, now what do we do with it? I'm really pissed. Okay, now what do we do with it? And then it's this choice of how am I choosing to feel based on what is this underlying unmet need that's happening? But I, I love that's what you shared. point. Yeah, I love that you pointed that out because it's, you know, like if you share how you feel, one, that's information, that's helpful information because that's information they didn't have before. 
And now you're offering that to them. They can't debate it. You're telling them, this is how I feel. Like, there's no debate there. Like if that's how you feel, whether mm-hmm. you're justified or not, or if whether they made you feel that way or not, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter at mm-hmm. all. It just matters that, hey, right now I'm feeling this way and here's this information. Mm-hmm. And I think that also touches on a little bit around like the problem. You're talking about the problem. You're trying to be helpful and actually get to specifics. And overall, like whether you're talking about the problem, you're talking about solutions, you're talking about praise, mm-hmm. getting specific is such an important piece to that mm-hmm. around like, you know, instead of saying like eight examples. So the one that comes to mind with my son, which I can't think of another example is like, be careful, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> constantly saying, be careful. That's not helpful to him at all. That's not going <laughs> to let him avoid the eminent danger it's not going to help them avoid like dangers in the future. Like it's just yeah. not helpful. Just all it does is transfer fear, which I guess there's some small teeny tiny value to that of like, okay, there's some sort of danger. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but that can also be really uh, damaging. If you like, I constantly, every time he's standing on a chair, I'm saying, be careful. He's getting scared. So maybe he like, doesn't want to be around chairs or take risks or whatever, you know, like, so being more direct, more descriptive thing Mm. like, Hey, don't fall. That's new information. You'll get hurt. That's helpful information. If you sit down, you won't fall. Getting more specific and actually being helpful versus like these like very broad, very generic things we share, which either drum up more issues (laughs) because Mm. there's the room for misinterpreting or it's just not helpful. It all does add anxiety in the work environment, like it's, it's super important to be descriptive about like what the issue is. Like, Hey, I don't think users will like that. It's not very helpful. Right. <laughs> like, not Hey, so awesome work. You know, also with praise, like, Hey, awesome work, not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Like being specific and saying, Hey, those ideas that you presented today were really innovative. Great job. Like that extra word that's direct innovative versus just this awesome work of generic thing that we always say instantly becomes more valuable to that person. And specific like oh okay i'm valued for my innovation that's really helpful to know and i feel like for so many designers at least this is how my brain works of okay the more specific i can be the easier i can just compartmentalize of like what to do with it (laughs) of just like okay with this very specific thing okay this is where this goes in the bank of my mind and there's not as much of a swirl of what do they mean why do they mean that but Yeah, it really comes down to like, are you offering new and helpful information? Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many cases that this comes up to in a day to day work of just being more specific and being more helpful. You know, we've all gotten those bug reports or emails or, you know, design critique comment in our figma file or something, where it's just so ambiguous, right? And you have to do extra work to understand what they're saying, or do extra work in coming up with a good question to ask them so you can get that information and putting that mindset on whenever you're giving feedback, whenever you're communicating about like being specific will just pay tons and tons of dividends and that vocabulary too. Yeah. Let's switch gears a little and shift to a couple of closing questions. I feel like we could talk about this book all day, but a lot of what we've spoken about under this umbrella of communication, whether it be listening or being specific or expressing yourself of what you need, all bubbles into the umbrella of emotional intelligence. And I'm curious from your perspective, why it's important for designers to invest in their EQ. I think this this is probably not true. But I as a designer, I feel that 
we are in the middle of it all. You know, we we need to reach over and really truly understand, you know, all the business requirements. We need to fully understand the, the product strategy. We need to fully understand the feasibility uh, and the opportunity and, and our engineering side and kind of just bring all that together. And I, I often see designers, and I think PMs are also kind of in there as well. I believe everyone should be this way, but usually the designers and PMs are carrying the, the burden in most teams, but of really understanding everything that's going in everyone and being able to communicate across all these different functions. Mm-hmm. And that requires emotional intelligence to make it successful because we are all very specialized, especially like, you know, if you want to get into engineering and you want to do well and you want to get into like some of these big tech companies, like you really need to put your mind in a certain way of thinking in order to do it well. Mm-hmm. And you specialize, you specialize, and you get more experience in that, and you become really good at understanding the, the feasibility of things, what's worthwhile not doing, what's, you know, let's, let's say as an engineer, what can scale, what can't scale, what can be, you know, open to attack and risk and all these different things. And you maybe aren't necessarily thinking about, you have the capacity to, but you necessarily aren't thinking about what's right for the user, what's the most effective mm. for the user, and things like this. So, as a designer, we oftentimes need to kind of facilitate those conversations. And like a lot of times our artifacts are meant for facilitation. You know, if we talk about user flows, what's the point of a user flow? It's not you know, necessarily like, oh, as a designer, I want, you know, this to happen, then this to happen, then this to happen. It's really about as a product team, like we need to talk through the entire experience and each step and how they connect to each other and, and what it feels like for a user to go through the whole thing together. And it really becomes an artifact for the team. And so much of what a designer does, like, you know, creating visuals for a while, that was our only job. But now it's really just part of facilitating the conversation about here's what the UI should look like and why. And here's what the user will experience and things like that. So I think as designers, we really do have this core place in the product development life cycle where we need to facilitate so many different conversations in order for the best experience possible to come out at the end that's effective for business and users Mm-hmm. And emotional intelligence is just the tool that makes that all happen. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And one last question. If you could ask one thing of folks listening that relates to what we've spoken of today, any of it could be any of those little topics that maybe someone could get started on right after they close <laughs> on the app that they're listening this to or whatever it may be, what would it be? Go buy that book. It's such a good book. And like I said, I get this paper bag. If you wanted to just read all the words, you could do it in like an afternoon. If you wanted to just read the comics, I won't tell. If you won't tell. <laughs> and it's worth that too. Like it's just worth the money. So go look up the book. It's how to talk to kids so they will listen and how to listen to kids so they'll talk. It's done in like, I think the 60s or 70s. I think the 70s. So don't be shocked if the examples or the images are like very 70s looking, but the advice is just so poignant still. Well, I definitely know that I'm going to go get this book. So I'm I'm taking that advice as well. I just recommended <laughs> it to my hairstylist as well, my barber. So like but, he was having something about like, you know, running his business. I was like, hey, check out this book. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for your time and sharing your insights. I definitely know that author will be very grateful that a lot of people are about to buy his book, his or her book. <laughs> she, yeah. There's two women, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you. And I love these conversations. Thanks for looping me into one of them. Yeah, you're welcome. And for those who have not listened to the Design Review Podcast, go check it out. 
That wraps up another episode of Designed to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you're curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designedtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest Design to Be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.